Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today we have Brennan Lee. Brennan is an American triple threat songwriter, guitar and mandolin player, and singer. The combination of her exceptional flat-picking technique, crystalline voice, and narrative storytelling has captured a cult following around the world. Her songs have been recorded by Leanne Womack, Rodney Crowell, Sonny Sweeney, Charlie Crockett, and many others. She has just released her sixth solo album called Prairie Love Letter, produced by Robbie Folks. It is an ode to her birthplace on the state line between Minnesota and North Dakota. Brennan began touring around the United States at the age of 14 with her brother Seth Halbert and is the two-time Texas Music Awards Best Female Vocalist and the 2018 Ameripolitan Music Honky Tonk Award winner. 20 years later, Prairie Love Letter reflects an immense evolution as an artist. The songs are full of love letters to the landscape and the characters who fill it where she came from. Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today I am thrilled to have Brennan Lee, who just released her sixth solo album called Prairie Love Letter, on our show to talk about some of the songs from her new album. Welcome, Brennan. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here with you. So, Brennan, for our listeners, maybe you can tell us what motivated you to create this very personal set of love letters to this unique part of America that many, many people probably have never been to. So I grew up basically on the state line between Minnesota and North Dakota. I moved away when I was 19, right after high school. I moved to Texas and I lived there 15 years. And then I moved to Nashville in 2017. 16 or 17, somewhere in there. I've been an honorary Texan and Southerner for the last 18 years. The whole time I've, I've missed home and I've missed the prairie. It was a conflicted relationship that I had with it. You know, I loved it so much and I still love it. And I also wanted to get out of there because I, I knew at a young age, I was a musician and I was in a band starting from when I was 14. So I knew that if I wanted to do this thing, that I was called to do that I couldn't really stay there because they just didn't have the infrastructure for a live music scene or a recording music scene. So I moved and I've missed it. I feel like over the course of the last decade, I've started writing and collecting these songs about that area. And it's been fulfilling intellectually and artistically to put that out there. I feel like it is an underrepresented part of the country in song. So I have to tell you, I have to be honest, I have been here to this place. I had a meeting in this place called Thief River Fork. Thief River Falls. Thief River Falls, sorry. And it was on December 14th in 2012. And I flew into Grand Forks, North Dakota. I got to tell you, it gets dark early there in late December around the equinox. And... It was so cold. It was two degrees. There was a snow squall. I was with Alvaro Villa, one of my dear friends who loves to listen to podcasts. So there's a shout out to you, Al, my friend. And he and I were in the car and it was so cold that it doesn't really snow. It just kind of spits snow. 
and we had to drive from Grand Forks, Thief River Falls. And I was saying to myself, this place must be spectacularly beautiful in the summertime. And I really want to get back here <laughs> then. But right now, it's kind of hard looking. Well, there's a saying up there, 40 below keeps the riffraff out. Yeah, they couldn't keep us out, though. But we left the next day after our meeting. And the telltale thing was the headquarters of Arctic Cat snowmobiles. I was like, okay, that's what you do up here. Yeah, people are into snowmobiling, for sure. That's what you do. And and, and is that the area we're talking about up there? Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed that you've been to Thief River. We just called it Thief River. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed because a lot of people will say that they've been to Fargo once or they've been to Detroit Lakes once, you know, that's kind of rare. Or they've been to Minneapolis, which is about three and a half hours south of where I'm from. Like the northwestern part of Minnesota, it's God's country. It's like the prettiest place in the world, in my opinion, winter and summer. But it is difficult. You're in snow, like from October till sometimes May. And it gets dark and it gets old. And my mom says, you just don't remember. <laughs> how bad it was, how cold it was. And it's, she's probably right. Because the summers are so beautiful, right? Yeah, that's what I figured. Like the summers have to be beautiful here. That's why the people stay here for this winter and they forget that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if anyone ever really forgets because it's just, it is so long and so cold. But again, it's, it takes an interesting kind of disposition of character and a kind of, kind of unique culture just to live in that area. And that's, that's what I wanted to bring out in these songs were the kinds of people that grew up there. And for, you know, most of them grew up there, like not very many people move there. <laughs> so it was, it was just the, the constitution of this culture that I wanted to zoom in on. And also the landscape that you mentioned. was a funeral on the prairie all his children gathered around put him in a horse-drawn wagon drove him into town in the dark of february snow covered up the ground in a pioneer church made out of sod we sang a mighty fortress is our god he was born in 1898 when the plains burned red and green. The God-fearing pilgrim parents, the 12th kid of 13, they broke up that ground yard by yard with a mule and an oxen team. Now we're burying him out on the lone prairie where the coyotes howl and the wind blows free. Back at the house, we push that big old table against the wall. The first song we want to talk about, Prairie Funeral, captures sort of both those things, a sort of major life event uh, of a passing away of someone in the prairie. Yeah, so, you know, that song is a uh, sort of a composite of some memories that I have. And also, I should say, the whole album is kind of that. It's a composite. Some of it is semi-fictional. Some of it is autobiographical and some of it is a mix. So Prairie Funeral to me was, um, it's about the passing of a generation, 
more than anything. I mean, it centers on this old farmer and this old farmer dying and his family and his friends getting together and the way that they've carried on his culture in song and in food and in the way that they interact with each other. But he's symbolic in a lot of ways of just the change. I mean, that generation of old people that I knew when I was a kid, they were the children of Norwegian and Swedish immigrants. Their culture was very strong. They still said little Norwegian phrases and made Norwegian food. And like, for me, this Norwegian thing was, it was just crammed down our throats. Like you're Norwegian, you are, you know, you're American, but you're, you're Norwegian. I thought it was so boring because everybody, like if you look at a picture of my kindergarten class, every kid is blonde and blue eyed. And I thought that was boring and normal. <laughs> and then I moved away and I realized it, this is like one of the few true Scandinavian enclaves in the country. It's somewhat unique, but it took me being away from it to realize that. Well, it's kind of a stoic culture, right? And <laughs> in some respects, and I guess you need to have that. I would call it multifaceted. When I was younger, as a creative person, I remember feeling kind of repressed, maybe a little bit ostracized. Of course, that was probably also just being a teenager <laughs> in a sort of socially conservative area. But people there are warm, they're kind they're generous, they're meek. And I think I carry that with me. I mean, I found that my meekness has somewhat caused me problems <laughs> in life. We were brought up to be polite, to allow space for other people, to be amiable. And, you know, that can be a challenge when you're trying to make uh, yourself, make a business of yourself. Um, but they're qualities that I cherish now and I see the value in them. I love the way you start the song, and this is, I think, one of the characteristics of your music. Often your opening lines really set a stage, so you kind of know what the song is going to be about. And it was a funeral on the prairie, all his children gathered around. That really, you know, gets it going. And then you talk about a mighty fortress is our God, singing that song. I had to look that up, and it's a profound song. I think it's a German hymn. But in my church growing up, which was Lutheran, they sing a lot of German hymns. And that one was a standard. So my grandmother would have known it. Anyone that grew up in the Lutheran church in Minnesota has sung that song. Is that just a funeral song or is it sung in all sorts of occasions? Uh, you hear it in church. Actually, to be honest, I'm not even sure if they would sing it at funerals. But oh, okay. I would imagine this old farmer or someone like my grandmother would have heartily approved of that song being sung at their funeral. And the song ends with a solo fiddle coda. Is that referencing A Mighty Fortress Is Our God? That's Paul Kramer playing the fiddle. And I, I did ask him to play A Mighty Fortress at the very end of the song. Okay, so I got it right. I wanted folks to hear it alone by itself with that starkness, you know, the beauty of that song. It's a very, very interesting combination of uh, illusions, I think. Your mom played the fiddle and your uncle Lars played accordion. Did you have an uncle Lars and are these real characters in your life? No, but. No, I didn't. I did not have an uncle Lars, but um, there are a lot of people named Lars and Oli and names like that up there. And my mom plays the piano. So I played around a little with that. Uh, so the family in the song is kind of my family, but they're a mix of fiction and my family. There would definitely have been some jamming, some picking, some singing for sure. 
At a funeral, at the wake. At a funeral and in, in my family, for sure. But the characters in this song are, I took some liberties with them. Uncle Lars is just kind of a, you can picture him if you're from Minnesota. He's a tall Norwegian, probably wears Wranglers and... And a flannel shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I love the ending to couplet. He's the red sky mirrored on the lake. He's the first cold light of dawn. He's a coyote's whale. He's a winter storm. He's the August wind blowing through the corn. Just fantastic. Like one metaphor after another. It's like, blows me away. Well, that's, that's where I see those people that I've lost. <laughs> you know, it's in those things. And did you grow up on a lake out there? Because it is lake country, right? The land of a thousand lakes. Yeah, um, Minnesota has 10,000 lakes, and that's not counting ponds and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up in Moorhead, which is just across the Red River from Fargo. It's kind of the same town. It's just separated by the state line. Moorhead's smaller than Fargo, but it's right there. And then if you drive about an hour, 45 minutes, um, that's where my folks live now. And I kind of grew up in that lake country in the summertime. But is it towards Thief River? Because I just love that phrase. Like, why would someone call a place Thief River? I bet there's a reason for that. And a lot of the lakes up there are, a lot of Minnesota things are named for the Native American names. Even even the name Minnesota, North Dakota, that's probably where that comes from. I'm not sure, though. It could have been a pioneer thing. There's a lot of interesting pioneer history out there, too. And that's what Prairie Funeral's about. The pioneer from 1898 who passed away probably had a long healthy life of farming, it sounds like. Yeah, I think he would have been a probably a dairy farmer. Maybe he grew corn. <laughs> uh, maybe he grew sugar beets. I don't know. That's what they grow up there? There's a sugar beet, uh, heavy sugar beet uh, industry, soybeans, alfalfa, corn, potatoes. And the Red River is the border between the two states. And you, I crossed over it when I drove in from Grand Forks to Thief River from Fargo to your hometown in Minnesota. You must cross over it. That must have, it must be like kind of this profound thing. Is it? Well, everything is named after it there. Red River Valley Fair, Red River. I mean, you can't swim in it. <laughs> you can walk on it. That's kind of cool. In the winter, you can walk on it. You could walk over to North Dakota. We used to do that just for kicks. And they ice skate on it? I've Maybe. I've never seen anybody ice skate on it. There there may be somebody that has... It, once it gets snow on it, you can't... You know, it's harder. To, I get it, right. There's too much snow for But I used to skate. just, when I was a kid, just go down and sit by it and just stare at it in the summer. This song maybe is my favorite song on the album. Like, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this one because... It's got the the heart of what I intended to convey in it. And I hope I hope people can hear the love in it when they listen to it. A lot of your songs talk about life events and, you know, certainly someone's passing and the family coming together around that is one of the most profound life events that we all have to sometimes endure. And this really captures that emotion, you know, which you do such a good job of capturing emotion in your music and which is kind of what my podcast is about this capturing of what I call this invisible language of words and sounds and combining into conveying either an emotion or a story or some sort of feeling and response in the listener and Prairie Funeral sure does that for me. Well, thank you. I think that sometimes in just telling a story 
emotions come out. You think you're writing something that's very niche, that's only specific to you. Well, no one's going to understand this because it's about this little town in Minnesota and it ends up resonating with people because no matter where you're from, you've had an experience where you lost somebody, maybe somebody old that you loved and maybe those shared memories went with them. They were the last link to this thing that we're desperately grasping for this past that was harsh and beautiful. Everyone can relate to that. One of your storytelling songs is the North Dakota Cowboy. Speaking of things that are unique to this place that you write about so much on this album, but also, you know, perhaps approaching extinction of sorts. I don't know, you know, how many cowboys are there up there? Well, there are, there are cowboys in the Lyle Lovett song. He always introduces it by saying the cowboys in North Dakota wear baseball caps. Yeah, they're not from Texas, right? That's how you tell they're not from Texas. Right. There aren't a lot of cowboys left up there, but even the character in this song, he wasn't a true cowboy either. He just had the soul of a cowboy. He was romantic. So the songs you selected to talk about on this show uniquely don't really have a chorus, any of them, although there are songs with courses on the album, but I kind of like that because it's like this storytelling verse after verse after verse. This one sort of has this chorus of you singing in your beautiful crystalline voice, this yee dee 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 kind of phrasing. Kind of a yodel. Is, it's kind of a yodel, right? Which I, mean, I imagine occurs up there in North Dakota, Minnesota. Yodeling. That's a good question. I mean, it was something I, I learned to actually yodel. I mean, the 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 thing in that song is just, that's all it does. It doesn't crack or anything, but I mean, there must be yodelers up there. You know, I learned to really yodel, sing the lovesick blues and Jimmy Rogers songs and things like that when I was 15, 16. Popular art forms up there were like polka. You could turn on the TV on Saturday night and there was like a TV show with people polka dancing. <laughs> and then on Sunday, there was a radio show that just played polka all day. German and, and Norwegian and Polish polkas. That generation of people that watch that stuff, they're gone. But it was there. 
You pointed out something I hadn't thought of. You don't crack in the EDD. It's not a yodel. And that is more maybe of a polka or a different kind of expression. I'm always interested in these non-word words that songwriters put into songs. And you actually like make it a chorus here of sorts. That was a weird thing because I call it a yodel because that's about the closest thing that it is. But that was one thing that just came out of the ether. Like I was writing this story about this friend. I don't know where that came from, but I just started singing it. So maybe he sent it to me, you know, it just, it just showed up. You knew this North Dakota cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. That song's about a friend that I used to have. And, um, I don't talk candidly about it very, very often because I guess it's kind of a tender topic. He was just a guy that I knew and He's gone now. He died young. In a way, he was always kind of a legend to me, even when he was alive. And he's kind of turned, he's kind of turned into more of a legend the older I get. Cause, you know, I think about him now and I think he'd be proud of me because he was a musician and a fan of music. Maybe the biggest music fan I've ever known. And I think he would look at me now and think, He'd be probably be pretty impressed or proud, but also I'm over a decade older than he, he was. So I've like surpassed him, you know, by 15 years. That's really weird. His eyes were green as Norway pines. I love that simile. Yeah. He was quite beautiful. Cause that's a deep green. I imagine. Probably also a bit of an exaggeration. Well, that's songwriter's license, right? You're allowed to do that. Yeah, you're allowed to be, to paint something a little brighter, maybe, than it would be. Yeah, I imagine the rusty yellow Ford at the end of that verse as being probably brighter yellow than it probably was, if it was rusty. You know, apparently, and I've talked to other mutual friends about him and his car, and it was a Ford Maverick. It was a 70s Ford Maverick, and I remembered it as being kind of yellow, pale yellow and rusty, but my friend told me, Right after I wrote it, he's like, he would take issue with you saying it was rusty because it wasn't rusty at all. He babied that car. <laughs> but in my memory, you know, when I was 17, 18, like the car was rusty. So that's just what happens with time. You forget, you know, you forget what things were really like. Yeah. Your memory makes them look different than they actually were if you looked at a picture of them and like eyes that are green as Norway pines and a rusty yellow Ford. In that, in a way, that's like a young girl's image of, of this guy that she liked, you know, like he had these beautiful sparkling green eyes, you know, and, but if you, if you saw them, I mean, you would definitely see that if you saw a picture of him, but you might not think they were as vibrant as I thought they were. So you had a crush on this cowboy. Sure. <laughs> okay. You admit it. Okay. Yeah, of course. Of course I did. And we were friends, you know. Right. Well, you say, and this line really kind of like haunts me a little bit. He'd never put a hand on me, though I know he loved me so. It's almost like you wanted him to put a hand on you, but there was this, like, this boundary <laughs> of respect and maybe an age difference or something in there. There was an age difference. And I'll also say that I took a little bit of creative license with that line, too. He did like me. He did like me. And uh, he took me to shows and came to my shows. And I look back and I think I should have just, you know, maybe run away with him or something. You know, I just was into my dumb high school stuff and didn't maybe see the connection for what it was. 
who knows how that might have worked out. So Graham Parsons on the AM dial. What what song were you thinking about there from Graham? Uh, not specifically any song, except maybe maybe the return of the Grievous Angel, because my friend that I wrote this song about was the person that introduced me to Graham Parsons' music. He used to give me cassette tapes, and the first time I ever heard Graham was on one of his tapes. Kind of blew my mind. It was this weird kind of hippie country. I'd only been exposed to pretty straight country country up to that point. And I remember the tape cut off in the middle of Grievous Angel. And then it it continued on the other side of the tape, which is, if you think about it, like that's to me, like the song from that Graham album, but it would cut off and then I would flip it over and hear the rest of the song. But what a song really made an impression on me. Well, that line just captures a setting for me. Graham Parsons on the AM radio, smoking with the windows down. You listen to the AM radio in the 1970s, it was all you could get, like signal-wise, in these remote parts of of America. You know, FM signal didn't penetrate there. There may be one or two FM stations you could pick up, but you could get like five AM stations. And people smoked if they smoked, like, you know, they just smoked openly kind of everywhere they went, you know, in their cars and in, in, in rooms. And, it, you know, we didn't have this whole secondhand smoke thing and didn't realize the dangers of of smoke as much as we do now and, and the, the change that occurred in our society. So it's like that sets a place for me. Well, it is kind of a little bit fantasy in that little moment in that song, which is the last verse where I'm back in Fargo. I'm kind of um, thinking maybe that I'll see him, even though I know I won't. It's a bit of an inside story because, you know, he smoked and he listened to Graham Parsons. And I think part of me took that from him. Like, I keep that with me. I don't smoke, but I kind of imagine myself smoking in that song and it being cold and having the window down a little bit. And it's a time warp is what it is. Well, the Marlboro Man was a cowboy, right? You know, that was that was the logo they used to to pitch people on starting smoking. Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, and if, if anybody ever made smoking look cool, it was him. The North Dakota cowboy, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, he he definitely had a James Dean vibe about him. That's very romantic. Yeah, it is very romantic. I think that's what he would do. He'd be going through Fargo and smoking. But I feel like I also kind of carry that, I guess, that sort of fiery spirit that he had. I'll never forget it. One of the things I love about the songs you've chosen to talk about here on Backstory Song um, is that you didn't pick songs with natural lyrical breaks, but instead you use instruments to create the breaks. And this song has this wonderful break of you finger picking and the fiddle player. And um, your finger picking style is like amazing to listen to. I mean, you are the triple threat. You can sing, you can finger pick, and you can songwrite. You, you are the combination of everything we love on this show. Oh, thank you. So tell me what went into that, that break and like. So the. Finger picking rhythm is me, and the beautiful acoustic guitar lead is Robbie Folks, who produced the album. 
Grammy nominated Robbie Folks. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and my friend. So he played a few leads. I got I coerced him into playing a few leads on this and singing on this album. He was one of the people that pushed me to record this song. He felt it strongly. And I trust Robbie's intuition completely. So anything he likes, I'll, I'll take at least take a second look at it. It's nice to have that songwriter, a singer, producer relationship. And, and, you know, I guess you guys really connected on this beautiful album. It'd be an understatement to say that I'm blessed that he wanted to do it because it had to be someone. It had to be Robbie because he understood. He understands the, the depth of the songs and he climbed inside the songs and he thought about the songs. He really did his research and he got pretty emotionally connected to the songs. I think that's pretty rare. Not just any producer could do that. So the next song we want to talk about is another one of my favorites from the album, The John Deere Age. And if I were to pitch your music to someone for, on a commercial basis, and you may not want this, this should be a commercial for John Deere. John Deere, if you are listening, this woman loves your product and has written the greatest song about your product, I think, ever. Thank you. So tell me about the John Deere age. This seems like such a personal, actual experience for you. And I can only imagine what it must have been like, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's a romanticized, uh, you know, song licensed idea. It's both because the John Deere age, for those who haven't heard it, it's the story of a young kid who's taking his first solo tractor drive. And he's eight. It's my dad. So it is a secondhand memory that I was given by my dad. My dad grew up on a farm in New Rockford, North Dakota. My dad's a really colorful storyteller. He told me about this little John Deere H tractor in like 1955, 56, 57. His dad let him drive it when he was eight, alone for the first time. And I loved that image of that little boy, not tall enough to reach the pedals without standing up. And really just having this dream and this 
need to drive this thing. And then his dad giving him that gift of letting him do it. Finally, he liked it so much that he would dream about it even in the song. So I really liked the story. I was definitely texting my dad a lot. Tell me about the corn planter. Tell me about the sickle mower. You know, all these little awkward farm pieces, this machinery that sound like poetry to me. And I know that sounds funny, but like a sickle mower, alfalfa, the way the tractor sounded, all of those things are very poetic to me. Real Heartland story, as much of the album, you know, Prairie Love Letters is about America's heartland, a place that, you know, not all of us have ever gotten to. And I certainly never worked a farm, but these stories are so romantic to me. And this is beautiful romanticism of the John Deere. And, you know, you have to say that John Deere and Caterpillar are American treasures. Like, you know, these are iconic equipment manufacturers that gave us the tools to build America. And this is like the John Deere H. What is the H? Is that like one of the models? It was a model. It wasn't the most popular model, but it was a low kind of horsepower tractor. It would do little jobs. They made them 40, 41, 42, 43, maybe longer. Tractor people can email me and correct me, but they only made them in Waterloo, Iowa, yeah. Willis, my grandfather, he would have gotten it probably secondhand from another farmer or from somewhere near. The sad part of this story that I, you know, that isn't in the song is that I think part of the reason he was letting my dad drive it finally was because they were going to sell the farm and move into town not long after that. So he wanted him to have that. Huh. But it's probably the first, I mean, your dad drove a tractor before he drove a car. Yeah, I guess he did. That's kind of neat. It's not that way anymore. It wasn't that way for me. You drove a car before you drove a tractor? I've only driven cars, you know. You never drove a tractor? No. But you wrote a great song about driving a tractor, so I got to give it to you there. It's- well, I, fe- I feel it. It's a lost and beautiful lifestyle, I think. And I've always had a thing for it, maybe just from growing up, hearing those stories. Yeah, obviously, I'd give my right hand for that piece of land. I'd give my right arm to be on that farm. You have beautiful harmonies on this song, and I guess that's Robbie Folks harmonizing with you? Yeah, that's Robbie. And not every one of your songs has the harmonies, so I guess maybe talk to me about how you chose to layer those in, why you chose to layer those in. Well, Robbie and I went back and forth about a lot of this stuff. We just wanted to treat every song with the exact thing that we thought it needed. So that one, it's kind of an up-tempo, grassy, kind of old-time vibe. And he sounds beautiful on it. It was a no-brainer, of course, having him sing on that. Is it available for licensing, Brennan? Yeah, John Deere, if you, if you want to talk, <laughs> give me a call. So tell me, where were you when you heard your first song on the radio? And what did that feel like? I do remember a moment. This wasn't the first time, but I wrote this song called Sleeping with the Devil. This was my first real cut as a songwriter, and it was with Leanne Womack. I admire her hugely. I think she's maybe like the best living country singer. And she recorded a song that I wrote. I knew, and I'd heard the cut. Her producer played me the cut. I was in Nashville in 2013 visiting a friend. And we had on Opry Live or one of those Opry specials that they have. And, you know, Eddie Stubbs comes out and interviews the artist. And 
they played that song. And I just, yeah, it was like I left my body. It was really exciting to hear her sing it. And were you alone at the time? or was- I was. I was laying on my bed in my friend's house. They were uh, kind of talking about the song and they were making some observations about it. And I remember Eddie Stubbs saying there's, there were some words in, in the song that no one uses <laughs> anymore, <laughs> like like drunkard. The interviewer was amused by the some of the antiquated words that I never thought of as antiquated. But now that I think about it, they kind of are. And to hear her sing it was a real thrill. So if you could have any, quote unquote, voice record one of your songs, which voice would you pick and which song that you've written out of your catalog would you want them to record? I kind of have two answers to that. One of them is Patty Loveless, because I'm a huge fan. I've been a fan a long time and I would love to hear her sing, Don't You Know I'm From Here, or any of my songs for that matter. And uh, the other person that always comes to mind and always <laughs> think about, I would just be thrilled if this person sung one of my songs is Del McCurry. Mm. And I've also heard um, through mutual friends that Del Del's into tractors. Like he'll pull off the road in the bus and go to one of those steam threshers reunions if he sees one. <laughs> I never heard of that. <laughs> Sounds like a fun party. <laughs> yeah. So a steam threshers reunion is basically a antique tractor pull where they get out all this old farm equipment and have demonstrations for the public and you can come, you know, you can see how the threshing works. They have steam powered uh, water mills and printing presses and just kind of all, all kind of old timey stuff. And you can look at all these tractors all the way back to the steam era and they have some electric tractors and they have horse drawn things and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I've heard that Dell is really into that. I'm into that too. And so I've got this one song, Steam Threshers Reunion. And of course the John Deere H. If I could pitch this song to Dell, I think he would do a mighty fine job on either one of those. I think if Dell did John Deere H as a commercial for John Deere, that their sales would go through the roof. And you heard it here first on Backstory Song, that's for sure. I'm glad we brainstormed about this because uh I'm for it. Dakota farmland, tabletop flats where Billy and I grew up at. Billy was my friend since we were 10, so I guess I never thought about it much back then. We both looked up farm boy bold tall and strong from shoveling snow and baling hay his big blue eyes were clear and bright as the prairie sky the heart wants to go where the heart wants to go and you can't undo it billy never told me so but i just knew it billy The song that captures me the most is Billy and Bo. You listen to songs, you listen to albums, and everybody resonates with different things on an album. I really like this story. And it was the one that I would have picked out to talk about on the show if I had been choosing the songs. 
I should have maybe picked this one too, because it is one that people notice a lot. It is a special song to me. I wrote this with my friend, Melissa Carper. It's sort of a, I use this word a lot now, but a, a composite of some things from both of our lives. It's about these three young friends, teenagers, and I think of them being teenagers when I was a teenager, like in the 90s, you know, late 90s. They are kind of 4-H kids, and they're all friends. The song is about their friendship and about the way they interact, about their environment. Two of them are boys. One boy is in love with the other boy. Spoiler alert, it never comes out. And I think that's kind of, in a way, how things are in real life. Like you, you might have had this attachment or this crush or this love for someone, and it might never get said. And that's what happens in the song. So they kind of lose touch and they leave their hometown. And you're left wondering what happened to that boy. He kind of fades into the background. You hear about him through the grapevine, but you never find out if he came out, the second boy. So It's a real coming-of-age story about teenage life, you know, when people are realizing I'm straight or I'm gay. and Yet it's not, you know, an overt, like, hammer on the head about it. It's like a real natural storytelling of this this moment and how these people are great friends first, you know, because that other stuff is irrelevant to their friendship. I just remember being, you know, shy and young and, like, how hard it was to convey something like that. Oh, I have feelings, you know. It was hard to convey those things, and it would be extra hard if your orientation was not necessarily accepted by the people around you or your community. So there's that extra element of difficulty that Billy would have experienced. The most important thing in this song is the relationship between these three kids. They have such a great time and it's so pure and so innocent. And that's the main memory, you know, that I take away from that is whatever happens to all three of them, they they all have these great memories together. And most of us made a small group of friends and friendships in high school. And, you know, we graduate and we go out into the world and those things, you know, often fade into the background, but you think about them so fondly. And this song captures that in such a beautiful way. It's actually on Spotify, one of the ones that your listeners are picking up on and enjoying. I think it's because of the chorus and we you know, as I mentioned earlier, we, di- we didn't talk about how the other songs don't have choruses. This chorus is really beautifully simple. The heart wants to go where the heart wants to go, and you can't undo it. Yeah. It's a little bit of a statement, maybe. That's just where Billy's heart was. It was pure. You couldn't, couldn't change it. You couldn't convert it. It just was. So I think that applies to everybody. It's hard to follow your heart. Sometimes you want to stifle what your heart's saying. It's loud. (laughs) Well, I think that line is really capturing your audience's attention. I love this song, and I got to thank you for giving it to us. (laughs) 
Outside the jurisdiction of man. Now, I looked up that this is based on a Willa Cather uh, novel, My Antonia. Yeah, I grew up hearing about Willa Cather because she wrote about the prairie, most specifically the Nebraska prairie. I never read any of her books until a couple years ago. And then I grabbed My Antonia at a thrift store on tour. <laughs> And just absolutely fell in love with it. It's my favorite book. In the book, this little boy, he lives in Virginia. He's 10. And his parents die. And so they send him out to his grandparents' house in Nebraska on the frontier. This is like around the turn of the century. In the second chapter, he's being transported from the train to the farm. He's in this wagon. And he sleeps and then he wakes up and he looks out and he sees nothing but land. And he calls it the complete dome of heaven, all there was of it. In the book, it says, the feeling that the world was left behind, that we had got over the edge of it and were outside man's jurisdiction. And I still say that and it gives me chills through my whole body. <laughs> Because it's this frontier, this now disappeared frontier, that outside man's jurisdiction, you know, it hadn't been conquered. It was beginning to be. But, you know, you, you go up there now and it's it's farms. There's some nature left, but it's farms. But I think that spirit is still there. I love her descriptions throughout that whole book. One of the beautiful things about the way she writes is it just puts you in that place and you can just smell and feel where she was writing about. She puts you right there. You have some biblical references in this and, you know, interspersed throughout the album, there's this notion that we're not alone, that God gave us this planet, I guess. The complete dome of heaven is all ours. I love that. I mean, to me, that's, the prairie is very spiritual. Walking out, you know, even as a as a kid, I remember feeling that that's where God was, was on, on the prairie, because that's all I knew of nature. God created this flat area, this flat place, with this wind that just howls and sings and beats you in the face, and this black dirt and this grass, and that was obvious to me that that was God. I don't know, it's always obvious to everybody but makes sense to me. You have on this song 
a wonderful combination of the steel guitar and the cello, which is not like the usual combination. Where did that come from? Well, we had the wonderful Pete Finney play steel on some of these songs. We had Caitlin Reitz, who's a lovely friend of mine, cellist and songwriter. I had her in to play on two, three songs. And on Jurisdiction, we were not sold on this idea of cello and steel, but we wanted to try it because the steel kind of adds that sparkly, you know, it sounds like a night sky sometimes. It sounds like stars or something. If you get somebody like Pete, who's got really good tone and really has a sensitivity for the instrument and knows how to use it, you can hear that starry sky in what he's playing. And then Caitlin, she very tastefully played, you know, kind of a drony part. It was originally my idea to have an accordion there. That's very cowboy, very prairie, Western. Yeah, let's get an accordion on here. Then I thought, what if we, what if we just used a cello? We weren't sure how it would turn out, but some of those cello tracks are my favorite tracks. Yeah, no, it's really droney on this song and the contrast, because it's subtle in the background, the cello is, whereas the steel is sort of in the foreground of the song. But the combination of that drone background and the piercing element, you know, really does kind of like you said, it, it communicates this, this notion of a prairie. It's just wild, the way the sound tells the story. They're very gifted, you know, the musicians that played on this. They're very, everybody that I involved, I wanted them because they were emotionally tuned in to what was happening in the songs. And so I think that, like you said, that, that steel, like you hear the stars in that, <laughs> you know, you hear those little cottonwood pieces floating over the lake in the prairie. And then in the cello, I think you hear the horizon. It's this flat horizon that just never ends. So the Myotinia story is about an immigrant who moves to the plains of Nebraska. Is that, and, and she's a girl, right? Right. So the, the boy is from Virginia and he's like 10. And then Antonia is like 12 or 13 and she's Bohemian. So her whole family's bohemian. They don't speak any English and they bond because there's almost no one out there and the families become acquainted and he teaches her how to speak English slowly. And so they become kind of kind of best friends. She has this pretty tragic upbringing. A lot of what happens to her is pretty tragic. He's a little more of a bystander. His life is a bit more stable. The whole story is his observations about her and her life. This song has a slower tempo than many of the other songs. And you, you know, you're such an amazing flat picker or guitar picker or mandolin picker. What's it like to write a slow tempo song? Like, do you have to like step away from kind of like everything that you're capable of to do it differently or? I mean, you're giving me too much credit <laughs> for being a fast picker, but um, no, this was very natural, this one. And I felt it very strongly. I wonder if I can remember now, but um, the B part goes, All along the horizon, only stars, the complete dome of heaven is all ours. So that's the B part. But before Robbie got to it, um, I'd played him, 
I think I, I think it went like all along the horizon only stars the complete dome of heaven is all ours but Robbie heard it and he said you know I love this one but could you inject a little bit of darkness in this so that's when I went hmm I mean I thought the song was done and the lesson here is like don't fall in love with your own work because you could go back and edit it and it could be better but so it went from this it went from that to all along the horizon only stars the complete dome of heaven is all ours and he heard that and he was like yeah that's it now we're talking it goes from being bright to kind of a little bit of melancholy or yeah, this minor three to the four. That one note just melancholies it out. It's just... Yeah, we, you know, it opened it up to what it needed to be. It wasn't fully realized. He just suggested that. It just made a little, you know, editorial suggestion. What if you, what if you inject a little darkness? And as soon as he said that, I knew that it needed to go here. <laughs> It's funny how songwriting works. That's great. Well, Brandon Lee, I have to thank you for coming on Backstory Song. Is there anything you'd like to plug or promote or or talk about? Um, Just uh, that I'm looking forward to getting back to it after this whole thing. I will say I've got a um, December 20th. I have a signature sounds live stream, and you can find out about that on my website, Instagram or Facebook. It's going to be a cool live stream. I haven't been doing too many of them lately, but that'll be a solo live stream that I'm doing. So you can, of course, find her new album out on all the streaming media, Prairie Love Letter. And I have to thank you for coming on. I have to thank DJ Wyatt Schmidt and MC Owens, our social media director. I have to thank you. And I have to thank you, all of our listeners. And please share our episodes with your friends on all your social media. We are trying to get these amazing songwriters work discovered and listened to. That's our mission here at Backstory Song. Doug, thank you so much. Brennan, tell me, when did you start writing songs and why? I wrote my first bad song when I was about 12, which is what you do. You write a lot of bad songs and then you eventually start writing good ones. Okay, so I was like weirdly obsessed with Victorian poetry, romantic poetry, and early 20th century Irish poetry and some American. I just loved the way words go together. I love William Butler Yeats. I loved Christina Rossetti. I loved Alfred Lord Tennyson. There was something so wonderful. I love Shakespeare. I wanted to be that person. <laughs> I knew that there wasn't a practical modern application for being a poet, or I didn't think there was. And then when that kind of collided with my love for country music, I realized that it was no less noble or intellectual to be writing country songs. Anybody that doesn't see the intellectualism in, you know, Hank Williams or Tom T. Hall or Cindy Walker, they're just not paying attention. So that's kind of why. I, lo- I loved words. I loved how they went together. I get a thrill from rhymes that are in the right place. It's just been good. It's been a good life choice, I guess. I love that. Rhymes that are in the right place. That's what it great songwriting is about, if you ask me. 
your style reminds me of Lucinda Williams and in particular Lake Charles, the song about that place. And this album is like the first album about this North Dakota, Minnesota place. And I really think you are onto something about writing from personal experience and about a place. 